And today I want to talk to you about loving God's way. Love is probably one of those words that is, I would say, at least in the English language, it is one of the most overused, misunderstood words that we could find. Love, for many people, uh, is one of those things where it just simply means something very nonchalant. There's no depth to it. It doesn't go very far in their lives. And probably part of the reason is we say things like, I love pizza. I love cannolis. I love spaghetti. Usually we use it in terms of food. It's, it's kind of an interesting thing. There's probably some psychological thing we could get into about that, and that's not my point today. But usually, that's how it kind of comes out. I love going for walks outside. And then, I love my spouse. I love God. And we treat it as if all of those things, on some level, are equal. We know the difference. We know better. And yet, many times, we see this, especially in our American society, we see that in our culture, we have become more loving of things than we are of people. That somehow the accumulation of goods and of merchandise and of, of material things in our, this life that we are living has greater meaning for us, means more. God has to help us as Christians not to value things more than we value people. And never ever to value things more than we value God himself. The Bible lets us know that love has a significantly deeper meaning than the way that we most often use it. To find out how deep it is, we've got to go to the Word of God to take a look at what the Bible does, in fact, say about love. Now, there are a lot, a lot of scriptures about love in the entire Bible. In fact, if you were to do a quick search on it, it would not be a quick search. It would be a very long and exhaustive kind of search on the word love found in the Bible. Five, over 500 times in scripture it is mentioned. Love is so absolutely important to God. But it's important to him because he is, in fact, the originator of it. It started with him, and that is what I want to start with today, because we don't understand love. The world cannot understand love until it comes to the place of knowing who started it all. We didn't. We didn't invent the idea. You didn't invent the idea. I remember a number of years ago, there was a secular song and the, the term or the, the song went something like this. I want to know what love is. Yeah, y'all, you remember that, right? Y'all need to be listening to something else. Oh, we've changed our ways though, right? I say, pastor, how do you know it? <laughs> Because there was one day where I was unredeemed, <laughs> unsanctified, uh, a preacher's kid at that, and it was, it was not good. But anyway, this, and it hit me as I read this one verse of Scripture. We're going to go to a number of different Scriptures today, so I want you to get your fingers and thumbs ready. 
But the Bible lets us know in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16. Not John 3.16, 1 John 3.16. Turn there if you would and we're going to stay in 1 John just for a moment. There's another verse of scripture that I want to read to you. But the, the world says we want to know what it is. The world often ascribes it to different feelings. But love is infinitely more than a feeling. It is a choice. It is a commitment. It is something that occurs. And we need to recognize today that man, in his own ability and his own strength, will find love difficult until he comes to the place of knowing that God is the one who started it all. But for the one who says, I want to know what love is, 1 John 3.16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That shows us the intensity and the immensity of the love of God. And here's what I want you to recognize from Scripture. And it is this, three things about love. First of all, He loved us first. He loved us first. This is how we know love. Our reference point is not something on this earth. It's not even a human relationship. It's not even a time where you go back and you say, well, if I'm married, I I remember the day I met my spouse or the day that we first got together. You have those memories about your spouse and and, or maybe a, some other relationship, somebody, a close friend whom you love. And that friend, you would say, I remember the day that we became good friends. And, and we understand that your reference point, brothers and sisters, is not another human being. Our reference point for love is the fact that he loved us first. Without his love, where would any of us be? Where would we be in our relationships with one another? Where would we be without a relationship with with, uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ, our husbands and wives, our, our friends, our neighbors? Where would we be without the fact that he was the one who loved us first? Just turn over to chapter 4 of 1 John in verse 19. The Bible says this. We love because... He first loved us. Think about that for a minute. Your ability to love and your ability to love, especially within the body of Christ, hinges upon the fact that your reference point is not even the lovability of that other person. It is the fact that God loved you first. And when you think about that, we're going to get into this in just a moment about how he loved us and and the depths of his love and the fact that he then commands us to love one another. But you realize as you look at this verse of scripture, we love because he first loved us. Without his love, we cannot love as we should. We have got to see that we have got to go back. You say, well, I lack love for this person or that person. Then what we need to do is we need to get back into the presence of the Lord. And we need to say, Lord, you need to help me to see how much you love me today. And you need to help me to see how much you love that other person. And we will begin more and more to be see through the eyes of God rather than our own eyes, which are jaded with so much disillusionment and so many of us, so much of our human 
human baggage that we're carrying around. We need to free ourselves of that and begin to see the way God sees. He loved us first. So what's the proof of this? How do we know this? Well, obviously, I read you one verse of Scripture earlier in 1 John 3 and verse 16, but I want to go to some place that you would not normally look to see the proof of the love of God, to see how much God really loves you and me. Turn back over into the book of Genesis. Go all the way down into chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. And I want you to see something that shows how much God loves humanity, how much God loves us. Genesis chapter 1, and first of all, to see that he loved us first, we have the proof of our creation. The Bible says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Let us make man in our image, In our likeness. Think about that just for a minute. The proof that God loves you and he loves me goes all the way back into creation. It goes all the way back to that statement where God said, now we are going to make man in our image. We are going to make him in our likeness. We are going to make something that is above all the other creation that we have made. We have made animals. We have made uh, the, the, the earth and, and the water and, and all of this thing. And we, we all, everything that occurred in creation, we have made all of that, but let us make man in our image. Brothers and sisters, the proof that you are sitting here today, the proof that you, God loves you is the fact that you and I are in this building today, it is that we are on this earth, that God created us. He loved us so very much that he made us in his image. We have the proof of creation. Not only that, we have the proof of his contribution. Turn over to John 3.16. You probably can quote this verse by heart, but John 3.16, not only do we have the proof of creation, we have the proof of his contribution. His wonderful, matchless gift. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave. His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Brothers and sisters, we have got to recognize the fact that when He loved us first, He loved us best. He gave us something that we could not give each other and we could not give anybody on this earth. He gave us His one and only Son so that we could have eternal life. We don't have to perish, but we can one day be with Him, live with Him. And yes, we might go by way of this grave, but on the other side of the grave, there is eternal life with Christ. He gave us a wonderful, wonderful gift. This contribution that he made to mankind is, I love you and I'm going to give my son for you. We have the proof of this contribution. Not only that, we have the proof of his crucifixion. You see, Jesus was not all talk. 
Jesus didn't just say the words. He lived the words. When he told his disciples on one particular day, and he let them know, he said, listen, no greater love has anyone than this, that a, that a man would lay down his life for his friend. Jesus wasn't just talking about empty words. He then went and lived that verse of scripture out, and he went to the cross to be crucified. The Bible lets us know this in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 about his crucifixion. And what God showed us in this, it was a demonstration of his love. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While you were still out there doing your own thing, hostile toward God, doing your own, your own way of living and, and trying to figure out life on your own and figure out love on your own, God was proving to you how much he loved you by sending Jesus to the cross. Jesus died a cruel death so you wouldn't have to. Jesus died a, a death on the cross that would be the redemption of mankind. All the sins of mankind was heaped upon him in that moment as he hung there on the cross and breathed his last. He did it because his love was greater than any love that you and I could ever, ever begin to show. The love of God was demonstrated in that moment when Jesus was crucified on the cross. The Bible simply says these words in, in Mark's gospel, and they crucified him. Why? For you, for me. He died so you didn't have to. He died so you wouldn't have to go through the terrible, terrible punishment for your sin. Brothers and sisters, we need to recognize today you have trouble loving. You have trouble in your life. Right now, we need to recognize how much he loves us first. He loved you when, when you didn't deserve it. And do any of us deserve it today? There isn't anybody who is worthy of that love. There isn't anybody who could stand and say, Now, God, you know, my, my neighbor over here, they, they don't deserve your love. But, you know, I've been really good. Being good doesn't matter. In the end, it is the grace of God that has appeared to all men, teaching men to say no to ungodliness. Brothers and sisters, it is his grace. When he died on the cross for you and me, he was showing the intensity and the immensity of his great love. Now, given the fact that he did that, what do we need to do? This kind of love, and we've only scratched the surface on his love, but... With this kind of love, what are we supposed to do? Well, very simply, we are to love him back. He loved us first, and so therefore, we must love him back. Turn over to Mark chapter 12 and verse 30. And there are two ways in which I want you to see that we must love him back. Two ways that we're going to see this. There may be others, and I'm sure there, that there are. We could talk about others that are found in Scripture. But two basic things that I want us to see about how it is that we need to love him back. As he gave all for us. As he made us in his image. As we are here today because of Christ being crucified on the cross. 
I want you to see this. We are to love him, first of all, totally. Totally. Mark chapter 12 and verse 30. Mark 12 and verse 30. Love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. Do any of us, after reading that verse, get any kind of hint that we are to reserve just a small part of ourselves for us? I don't think you can. I don't think it's possible. When you read that and you see that we are to love the Lord our God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, that is why it is so important for us to come to the place where every day we are surrendering all to Him. We are saying as we wake up in the morning, Lord, I'm yours. I want to be yours. I want to give myself to you. I want to live for you. Listen, so many Christians go through life thinking that somehow they're just going to live it the way they figure it out and the way they want to live it. Listen, we need to recognize today that we need to love Him totally. We need to love Him completely. He wants you to put everything that is within your heart, your life, into loving Him. Brothers and sisters, He didn't give this to all of us. He didn't give Himself to us so that we could just somehow go to church on Sunday morning and sit here through an hour, an hour and a half service. And usually at about an hour and 15, we're probably, for the most part, we're getting a little bit antsy. We know there's food downstairs. and Or, you know, if there's no food being offered downstairs, we're going to go home. And, you know, we're, we're getting hungry. we got all these things. And, and for a little bit on a Sunday morning, we, we just kind of... We kind of push our way through a meeting and through a service. When brothers and sisters, when we come into this building, the one thing we have to recognize is because we're all here, God is in this building. He's worthy of being loved. He's worthy of me taking a little time out of my day and putting my mind and gear into the presence of the Lord, putting my heart into the place where it needs to be to say, Lord, I want to love you. I want to love you more and more right now. I want to give myself to you. I want to be a blessing to other people. I want to help others. I want to minister to others. Lord, I want to be your hand of love extended. We've got to love him totally. Not just partially. God is not interested in having half of you. He is only interested in having all of you. He is only interested in having the total person. It's wonderful that you're here this morning. I'm thankful that you are. I'm glad that you chose to be here this morning. But in the end, this is not the proof that you love God. This is only part of the proof. This is a part of you that says, this this one moment in time, I'm going to give of myself to God. But what about all the other moments throughout the rest of the week? Is that reserved for you? Or is that going to be for Him? Are we going to love Him back after all that He has given to us? Or are we going to just say, well, you know what? I'm going to wait until Sunday morning because that's my time to go and to really, really love God. No, we've got to love God every day of the week, every moment of the week. We have got to give our ourselves to him offer ourselves as paul says is living sacrifices god isn't interested in dead sacrifices anymore he is interested in living 
sacrifices because the living sacrifices are the ones who can be blessings. We got to love him totally. But not only that, we need to love him back obediently. John chapter 14. Over in the gospel of John. John chapter 14. I want you to see this. John 14 and verse 15. These are the words of Jesus. This is what he said. If you love me, you will obey what I command. John 14 and verse 15. If you love me, you will obey what I command. This is one of the reasons why the enemy wants to, you to stay away from the word of God. Because if you don't know what he commands, then how are you going to live for him in a manner that pleases him and that proves your love for God? You see, Christian is more than a label. The word Christian, the word and even the words Christ follower, that, that's something that people have picked up and they've kind of coined now because the word Christian has somehow had a negative connotation to it. It won't be long before the words Christ follower is going to have you know, a negative connotation to it. We're going to have to figure something else out. In the end, if you love Jesus with all your heart, here's what you're going to do. You're going to obey him. And if the enemy can keep you away from reading the Bible and reading the Word of God, then how is it possible for you to be able to carry out an obedient love? It's not. If you love Him, obey Him. But you've got to go to the Word of God and find out what the Word has to say. That actually is one of the things that we find in the Word of God, that we need to spend time with Him, that we need to hide His Word in our hearts, that we might not sin against God. We need to go to the Word and find out what it says for our lives. And when we do, we can love Him to the fullest extent of obedience. God wants you to be obedient to his word. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey what I command. Now, at that point, he was talking to his disciples and he was letting them know there are certain things that are going to happen. They're about to happen. The last part of the book of John essentially deals with the last, about the last couple of weeks or last 20 days of the life of Christ before he went to the cross. And as we look at that and as we realize that what Jesus was was trying to put into them, he was trying to invest something into them that they would live for him obediently. Brothers and sisters, we can make all kinds of excuses in this life and we can say, well, you don't really understand my situation. No, I may not, but I also understand this. The Bible is the word of God and God says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. And I can get a very quiet amen on that. If you love me, you will obey. Jesus isn't saying, you know, he's not saying, if you love me, maybe you might obey me. No, 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 no. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And brothers and sisters, I believe with all my heart that what we need to pray for more and more is, Lord, give me a spirit of obedience. Help me to obey the word of God as I read it, 
as I'm taught it, as it's preached, as I, as I encounter it on a daily basis, and it comes to my mind, it comes to my memory, help me to act upon your word. Help me to live the way that you have commanded me to live so that I can be all that God wants me to be. Listen, brothers and sisters, as Christians, often we are living so far below our potential simply because we're not living to love him the way that we should love him. Let me move on. As a result of loving him back, there is a purpose to all of that. There is a reason why he has picked you, has chosen you. Jesus said to his disciples, I have chosen you that you would go and that you would bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. God has a plan for your life. And I got to say, right now, I am so impressed with the kids Hang with me. We're almost through. The kids are being so wonderful. But we need to look at this last thing because this affects everybody. From the very smallest to the very oldest in this room. We must love others. We absolutely must love others. He loved us first. We must love him back. But we must love others. Others as a result of the relationship that God has with us and the love that we have for him. It has to be extended. It has to go outside of these walls. It has to go to where people live. It has to go to where you live, where you work, where you, you live, where everything occurs. But even before that, it has to happen within these walls. You see, we often talk about the, the people in the world who are lost and they're hurting and they're dying and they're without Christ and they're on their way to hell without Christ and they need to know Jesus. We often talk about that. But what about within this building? What about our brothers and sisters in Christ? We have got to give more attention to being loving the way that God wants us to love inside the church. So we need to love others in two ways. First, inside the church and outside the church. Very simple. Inside the church. Go with me. Oh, you're in John. If you're in John chapter 13, John chapter 13 and verse 34. Jesus said these words. He said, a new command I give you. Love one another. Now, remember, Jesus is talking to his disciples at this point. So he's looking at these guys who have been traveling with him for almost three years at this point. They've been with him. They've been together. And Jesus knows what's coming. He knows he's going to go to the cross. He's going to rise again on the third day. And, and some 40 days after that, he is going to ascend into heaven. And after that, he's gone physically from this earth. So he's giving them this important command as brothers, as family, a new family that he has started. He says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. That one, that one verse of scripture is so loaded I don't have time to get into it all, but we need to see this, that this is intended for disciples. It is intended for those who know the word of God, who love God and who love him and want to be what God wants you to be. Listen, it's not just outside these walls that matter. It's inside the wall. 
How many churches have been shamed over the years because they've done their best to, to have outreaches and minister to those on the outside and minister to those out on the street and in the neighborhood, but all of a sudden somebody comes into the church and they find there's a bad vibe. There's a bad feeling and they begin to look around and they say, wait a minute, how come that person never seems to talk to the other person? How come that person never seems to go and just be friendly to somebody else over there? What's going on in this place? And churches have died because of the fact that within these walls, there is this cliquish kind of, of, of separation that has occurred. That should never, ever happen. We have to pray, Lord, help us to be loving within the body. Love one another, Jesus said, as I've commanded you. And he says this, as I, get this, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. That one phrase, as I have loved you, indicates unselfishness. It indicates a self-sacrificing kind of love for one another. We've got to love each other so that then we can do this. We can love those outside the church. We've got to love in our homes. It also, what happens in this place, in this building, in this body, has to be extended out into our homes as well. It has to go to our spouses, our children. Ephesians, you don't need to turn there, but just listen to this. Regarding our spouses, Ephesians 5 and verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Sad to say, over the last you know, few hundred years, maybe even thousand years or so within the church of Jesus Christ, there has been, unfortunately, a caveman mentality when it comes to the man's role in the home. Men, we are to love our wives, and the Bible says, and give, who gave himself up for her. That is a self-sacrificing kind of love, not a selfish kind of love. Colossians 3.19, Paul echoes essentially the same thing to the Colossian church. He says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And every husband said, ouch. He said, Lord, help us. Help us to be what we ought to be. We need to love in the way that will exhibit the love of Christ in the home. Brothers and sisters, we got to pray for that and say, Lord, help us to do that. But also it extends to our children and how we treat our children, how we are with our children. The Bible says this in Ephesians 6 and verse 4. It says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. That word exasperate literally means to bring them to a point of almost feeling like they want to give up and also bringing them to the point of anger. It says, fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, I love how the word offers us a different solution. Instead, it says, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. It shows us that our children are an investment for the future. I was on, on the way here this morning. I love Crawford Loritz. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of Crawford Loritz, pastor outside in the, the Atlanta, Atlanta suburbs. And he was speaking, such a powerful speaker. But, but he, he went to the verse of Scripture talking about how the children are the, the bows or the, the arrows uh, for the future. 
And I, I begin to envision what the, the investment of our children is as we love them and as we nurture them and as we teach them. They are like arrows for the future. They're headed into a place that we're never going to go. They're, they're going to live beyond us. The, the Lord willing, that will happen. And they will, they will carry something into the future. What are they going to carry? What are, they, what, what are they going to hit? What kind of target are they going to hit? Are they going to hit their own dreams? Or are they going to hit the plan of God? And brothers and sisters, we need to recognize today that it's not only inside the church, it's outside the church that the body of Christ is extended. It's in our homes. It's our neighbors. Mark chapter 12 and verse 31 says this. The second, and Jesus is, was asked what the greatest commandments were. The first one, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your strength, all your soul, all your mind. He said the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> Wait a minute. My neighbors. You don't know my neighbors. And I say that not figuratively. Literally. This has been a challenge to me. Lord, I got to love my neighbors. You got to love your neighbors. Why? Because we go back to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26 when Jesus, God said, let us make man in our image. There, the Trinity was there in the very beginning. Let us make man in our image. Let us make man in our image. We got to love them because they are made in the image of God. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Imagine that. That it's not just about us. It's not just about, oh, God, how he loves me. It is about how we are to love others. And not only that, we are to love our enemies. Anybody got any enemies? Not that you go looking to make them. I'm just saying, you got some people who, you know, they couldn't care less if you're walking the face of the planet or not. They, they do their best. And in fact, we're going to read, turn over to Matthew. There's one place more that we're going to hit in Scripture before we close this message. But Matthew chapter 5 and verse 43 and 44. Matthew 5. As Jesus is teaching that wonderful Sermon on the Mount. The Bible says this. You have heard that it was said. Love your neighbor. And hate your enemy. Now they had changed this. The Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, had changed it. They said, when it comes to your enemies, man, all bets are off. You, you, you have a throwdown. Come on, enemy, bring it on. Ready for you. Jesus said, you've heard that that's what, it, what was said. But I tell you, Jesus, I tell you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. <laughs> oh, how many, how, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but just ask yourself this. Do I really love my enemies? <laughs> we're, we're, we're like giggling about it because we know that's one of the hardest things to do. Somebody who's picking on us. And yes, folks, it still happens into adulthood. Right? You go to a job and for whatever reason, 
There are people that just don't care for you. And they're there. And you know what? Their main reason for being there all of a sudden has become to make your life miserable. They don't care about doing a good job. They don't care about their paycheck anymore. It seems like they're just out to get you. (laughs) Thank you for that. Amen. We can talk about that later if you like. We'll pray. You know? But in fact, that's what, exactly what Jesus said to do. He said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The word for enemy comes from a, 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 the Greek word for enemy comes from another Greek root word that means this hostility, hatred and antagonism. It's as if it's as if their their purpose, their goal is to antagonize you, to show you how much they hate you and and to be hostile towards you. But Jesus said, we got to love even them. Say, I can't, Pastor. You know what? I know you can't. But you know what? The life of Christ in us will help us to love the way that we need to love. And to be able to love in the face of hostility and antagonism so that we can be his hand extended to a lost and dying world. Imagine this, the one person who's been trying to get you and get under your skin and maybe ruin your job or ruin the work that you do. All of a sudden you look at them and you smile at them and you share something with them and you say, you know what, I'm going to pray for you. And all of a sudden, it it just begins to disarm them. Or maybe it makes them matter. I don't know what will happen. But all I know is this. We need to follow through with what the Word of God tells us to do and love our enemies. Turn in closing to 1 Corinthians 13. There is no greater way that I could sum up this message than the words of Paul to the Corinthian church. Sandwiched right between his exhortation on the gifts of the Spirit, how they should be in operation in the church and how they should be handled, uh, what, what should occur, what shouldn't occur, what kind of propriety there should be as the gifts of the Spirit are, are exercised in, within the body of Christ. Paul stops for a minute and says, wait a minute, listen, you need to recognize this one thing. We can have all of these other things, but if we don't have this, we're nothing. Listen to what he says. Follow along with me. 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, I'm just a whole lot of noise, but no substance. If I have the gift of prophecy... And can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. Clearly, somebody like that spiritual. If I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. Absolutely nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. 
Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away, put childish ways behind me. Now... We see, but a poor reflection is in a mirror, but we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest is love. The greatest is love. It's not faith. We believe in faith. We believe faith is essential to our Christian lives. We believe that hope is essential, that confident expectation of what God will do. But in the end, he says, out of all of that, the greatest thing that you could have in your life is love. Can we stand to our feet right now?